1776.sucks. I'm Captain Britain. And I'm Death Doula Pat. These are the voyages of the starship USS KFC Taco Bell, our ongoing mission to explore new Trek episodes, and to seek out old Trek, both cringe and based, and to boldly go where, where the, the blight causes red sores. Soy Trek the Podcast is here. One half vegan, one half Communist, unless we have a less leftist guest, Patrick and Britain, talking, joking, farting and shitting, all about Star Trek, like our buttholes, the show is wrecked, so Trek the podcast is here, so listen to Soy Trek right in your ears. Look up your ears? Did you just say look up your ears? I was about to say lube up your ears. Yeah, you were trying. You just fucked up big boy. I was fine. I was fine with lube up your ears. Ah, uh, damn it. Look up your ears? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. Like none. No. But guess what? Now it exists. All right, well. Uh, welcome to the bridge. This is Soy Trek, the show where two Trekkies ask themselves, wait, so how does this relate to Highlander? Yeah, I was confused about that. Yeah. I was looking for the connection. I assumed like um, uh, Duncan McLeod was going to come in at the end. And I was thinking Connor, but you know, mm, yeah, that's know. true. Yeah. Connor McLeod. Yeah. Cause you know, fucking this is in syndication, but I think it was in syndication on the USA network. So it would have made mm. sense. Cause that's what fucking Highlander was in syndication on too. Yeah. So who knows? Yeah. It was actually going to be called, uh, called something else like, uh, um, like, uh, that was going to be more hopeful that it was going to be cured. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, it was Renee that came up with the, the mm-hmm. quickening. So maybe he had just watched some, uh, some, uh, some Highlander stuff. And was like, I can imagine. I can imagine Renee Aubergenois being mm-hmm. really into the Highlander. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. yeah who knows? He probably, he probably, uh, my was like trying was. to get on it. Yeah. My dad loved the Highlander. Yeah. I liked it. I only, like, when I was a kid, I only saw like the first movie. That was the only one I'd really seen. I Dude. Kinda, I kinda, wait, have you seen the other ones? Uh, I did. I later on, okay. I did watch. Yeah, because two and three are wacky. Yeah, two is insane. Three is also insane, <laughs> but like two is like like dog shit. Like two is so bad mm-hmm. that they made three, and three like retcons everything into it. Pretends like two never happened. Yeah, and then there's the one with. Is that the one with Edge? Is Edge in that one? I, I forget. Yeah, because like they do the whole thing where he's like, where he's like, don't lose your Edge. That's insanely cool. Oh, no, <laughs> yeah. wait. That, isn't that one in... Uh, that was in the 90s one. Yeah, that's it? a 90s yeah, one. The yeah, the end game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, he is in that one. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, but that was in like 99 or something. I saw yeah. that one in the theater, man. Wow. Yeah. Did you did you get really excited when they brought Edge on there? I didn't know who Edge was at that point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. I was more into Highlander than I was into wrestling at that point. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know who Edge is now. Edge is great now. He's he's still wrestling. Yeah. He came back uh, after like a seven year hiatus and it was he's still killing it. Oh, good for him. He's in like the best shape of his life. Mm. So 
We have ads now. You might have noticed. You don't want ads? Well, Soyagers, for as little as two little dollars a month, you can subscribe to our Patreon and not only get ad-free episodes, but you get all of our episodes the moment I get done making them. You get them in high-quality stereo MP3 instead of that shitty mono shit. Yeah. So it sounds like you're in the room with us. Ooh. That's cool. It's very conversational. Good thing there's no such thing as Smell-O-Vision. Because yeah, I'm pretty right. <laughs> yeah, you happy farting all over the place. Not not just about Star Trek, mostly about vegan food. Yes, yes. Yeah. Which yeah. is, I mean, I should blame on myself because I fed you like, you know, two pounds of vegan food the moment you walked in. Specifically broccoli. Yes, which the is broccoli my- was probably a terrible idea. Yeah, I mean, that's terrible on you. Idea. That's on you. It really is. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, currently my room has become somewhat of a broccoli sonic, if you will. <laughs> Um, so also instead of having to wait for all of the episodes to trickle out, like, uh, I don't know if someone filled your asshole full of glitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of yep. waiting it to uh, trickle out, like glitter out of your asshole, really painful and sandy. I imagine, <laughs> right? Um, if you don't want to do that, it's just $2 a month. But if you pay for $5 a month, you, uh, get a shout out on the podcast mm. just like Dan Morrison and Dylan Lance our girl Joanna Hearn mm. Jordan Hale my boy Nick Savard Shine Shoya and newest member of our big dumb idiot family David Croning Seats yeah Sites? Seats we're gonna go with seats I like yeah. I think seats works. Seats yeah I hope it works for them too yeah who knows uh, all of them are awesome, and they deserve a hit off your joint. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and in any position to give them a hit off your fat doobie, you should do just that. And also don't be mad at them if they don't pass it back right away. Mm-hmm. Let them hold it for a little while, you know. Yeah. Give yeah. them a puff puff ask. You know what? Give them three puffs. Yeah. Let them take another puff and then pass it on. Mm-hmm. Let, them, yeah. let them try to boof it if they want. Yeah. You know, they all got nice butts. Yeah. You got to have a nice butt to listen to the show. Not be on the show, but listen to the show. Yeah, yeah, and definitely yeah, not to both, be on the both, show. As, as it says in the theme song, our buttholes are wrecked. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, you don't want to look back there. You don't want to look in the trunk. No. <laughs> you do not. You do not want to see what I have back there. <laughs> so, um, all, uh, yeah, once again, you go to patreon.com slash BS. That's a dumb... Idiot and the letter BS, which stands for bullshit, but also stands for Alexander Sadig, which is mm. not a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Alexander Sadig, yeah. what did we watch this week, y'all? Deep Space Nine. We certainly did. Let's travel. You got it the second time. Well I done. did. Well I did. Done. Well done. I don't know all the songs by heart. Well, maybe listen to the episodes, friend. So I think I told you, I tried to put up our album, but all the songs were too short for mm. like some streaming services to list it. So like mm. it just didn't list, which sucks. Yeah, fun. It's dumb. They said, these are clips. And I'm like, you're a clip. Yeah. You go to great clips for your haircut. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> 
you know, they didn't respond. They yeah. blocked me. These clips lick your clit. What's up? Great clits. <laughs> Great clits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go. Go down to the uh, the haircut place and pick me up some pussy. You know? Yeah, and just it's just great for, clips. More just, like great clips. Yeah, it's just it's just for uh, just for um, uh, uh, like uh, pubic hair styling. Hmm. Great clits, and then yeah. there's like a, just a bunch of like the best like little styles on the on the wall, like you know, do little like lines and fades and basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm gonna get a high top fade on that clip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, use the number one. Use the yeah, number, number one. one, number one, number yeah. one guard. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Deep Space Nine is what we watched this week. Season four, episode 24, The Quickening, mm. released on May 20th, 1996. Uh, this one was written by Noreen Shankar, who wrote nine episodes of TNG, two of DS9, and one of Voyager, Heroes and Demons. Mm. Uh, he was also the science consultant on 25 episodes of TNG. But you know what I find most impressive about this fella? Mm. He's best known as the showrunner for acclaimed sci-fi series, The Expanse. Oh, shit. Did you watch The Expanse? Yeah, Expanse Rocks. I loved it. Yeah. I, I just finished it uh, like uh, a few weeks ago, actually. Mm-hmm. Finally watched the final season. It's good. Yeah. It's really good. I, I, I thought the end was a little bit like not momentous, mm-hmm. but the entire series as a whole is great. Yeah. It's like some of the best like hard sci-fi Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes a lot of places. Like it starts out with one main character and just like completely changes paths somewhere in the series. Mm-hmm. It's really fucking good. Yeah, right. I'd highly recommend it. If you like, if you like good sci-fi, it's closer to hard sci-fi. It's really like class conscious. Like the whole thing is kind of a big like <clears throat> stratification and class yeah. narrative, which is crazy that like Jeff Bezos decided to pick up the show after it uh, left sci-fi mm-hmm. because like. I mean, the whole narrative of the show is like anti-Jeff Bezos, basically. Anti-Elon Musk yeah. type uh, commercialization of space. Yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's it's not a, not a space future you want to live in. No, like, it's I, very, it's it's dystopian, but in like not the regular dystopian way. It's not yeah. like fucking nuclear dystopia or anything. It's like a capitalist dystopia, which is why I find it to be one of the most believable sci-fi narratives I've ever seen. Yes. Like I watch it, I'm like, that's exactly what we're going to do if we mm. ever like get that advance. Like mm. we are going to fuck it up exactly this way. This is, yep. yeah, it's sad. Which but, is like when what's his face, uh, Dingleberry, Neil deGrasse Tyson was talking about the commercialization of space being like a good thing for humanity. I was just, I immediately just thought of the expanse. Like, no, it's not. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like, like, it's oh. like, or it's going to be, or it's going to be the fu- humanity and fucking avatar, yeah. you know, just like being desperate, uh, only existing for the, for, uh, because like capitalism cannot slow down because it means the destruction of the human species. Right, it's, and uh, we need to go and fucking like, uh, do colonialism and resource extraction on a, on a, on a foreign, on a, on an alien planet. Which like doesn't make sense any way you put it, because there is basically no universe we can live in. And almost no resource we can absolutely need ever mm-hmm. that will be worthwhile to expend the fuel to going into space to go pick it up from a planet and come all the way back. Yeah. Like fuel is so much more expensive than that. And like the things that can like create everlasting fuel sources like nuclear fission, stuff like that, the stuff, the materials we need for that are all here on Earth. Mm-hmm. You know, so. 
Yeah. Uh, and this one uh, was directed by none other than Rene Abergenois. Yeah. Odo. Yeah, which is wild. Like, uh, I've never, I never really paid attention to that when I've watched this episode before. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, I, I never really even recognized, I, I never even remember seeing his name in the credits, but apparently he's done eight episodes of DS9. Hmm. Uh, including good episodes, like one I recently watched, uh, Hippocratic Oath, which I mm-hmm. watched like three weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, Let He Who uh, Who Is Without Sin, which is also a really good episode. Hmm. So, let's jump right into this. In the wardroom, Major Kira and Chief O'Brien examine the room's computer terminal as Quark enters, followed closely by Odo. Quark asks what the problem is, and Kira shows him a video on the monitor with Quark's face saying, come to Quark's. Quark's is fun. Come right now. Don't walk, run. <laughs> Which we love. We love that. We do. It's, it's iconic. I want to put it on a shirt or something. <laughs> Although Quark doesn't see anything wrong with it, Odo reminds him such tampering uh, with station facilities is a class three offense, which I looked up and it's a uh, Bajoran the law offense. Mm. Uh, before they can proceed, an angry wharf enters and approaches Quark accusingly. Uh, Quark asks what's wrong, and uh, Worf says that he ordered a cup of prune juice from the replicator, and this came out and shows him a mug, which is a similar advertisement <laughs> saying, come to Quark's free refills limit one per customer, <laughs> which is amazing. It's such a good piece of memorabilia, and I can't believe yeah. that, like, they're still not making and selling these at Star Trek.com. It's a fucking shame. Yeah, it's it's kind of wild. Like, that's such a great, like, I, I, I want that cup. Like, I already have a um, a uh, Rocket Geno. Geno cup, yeah, that I love. I, I, it's the only mug I drink coffee out of. Mm-hmm. And I would love to have a, uh, a Quark's, <laughs> come to Quark's mug. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Worf turns the mug sideways, it repeats the jingle playing on the monitor. Kira impatiently warns Quark to fix the replicators by the time she returns from the Gamma Quadrant. Otherwise, she will go to Quark's and make it clear she'll be the one having most destructive fun at his expense. Which immediately got me horny. Uh, yeah, it obviously <laughs> immediately got Quark uh, horny too. Like, yes. It's so obvious Quark has this crazy humiliation fetish. Mm-hmm. And like, he doesn't even like doing crime. He doesn't no. care about profit. He just wants Major Kira to step on his balls. Yeah. Like that's all he really wants. Step on me. Yeah. That's all he really needs in life. He doesn't care about his ears. He doesn't want Umox. He wants major Kira to mash his balls in a pair of high heels. Yes. Yeah. Which, which who, who among us? I don't, (laughs) I don't, (laughs) I do a lot of things with major Kira, but I don't want, I don't want nobody stepping on these balls. Oh, I feel you. I feel you. I feel you. Uh, under such a threat, Quark then decides to help chief O'Brien with purging the systems by taking his tool from his hands and beginning the modifications himself. Hmm. Opening sequence. Um, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed this. This is just a fun little slice of station life. Yeah. I like, uh, yeah, I like the scene. I like the, I like the, I mean, that whole iconic uh, um, exchange. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we, we get the, we got the commercial that's very catchy, a little jingle. I yeah. love it. I love, I love uh, keeping in line with the TNG, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Worf's addiction to uh, prune juice. <laughs> I mean, isn't it an addiction? I mean, he just likes it. Yeah, he it's, just likes it's, it. It's, it's part of his routine. Yeah, it's part I mean, of his that, routine. That's not a, that's not an addiction. Like, 
I have a cup of coffee most every morning. It's not an addiction because sometimes I go without a cup of coffee and I don't even notice. Yeah. So, uh, Lieutenant Commander Dax, Dr. Bashir, and Kira are now on a runabout together and intercepted a stress signal while on a biosurvey mission in the Gamma Quadrant. Mm-hmm. They divert to a planet near the border of Dominion Space. Dax and Bashir beam down and find a long ruined city with people walking about, going about their business, all with blue welts on their face. Just then a woman named Norva with red lesions on her face approaches and collapses in front of the two in obvious pain, begging to be taken to Trayvon. Mm. As Bashir tries to give her something uh, for her distress, another man, Epran, approaches and tells Bashir that there's nothing he can do for the Norva as the blight has quickened in her. <laughs> and this guy, Epran, appears a couple other times. I love this character because yeah. he's just a fucking hater. He is a the hater. The entire time, he's just like, oh, look at all your future technology. Too bad it's dog shit. <laughs> like, he's, he's like, he's a funny hater. And he just appears only to hate on Bashir and then he walks away. It's yeah, super, he's, he's like just three times in the episode. Yeah, and he's just uh, he's just some like bald fuck. Dude. Yeah, yeah, he's just, he's just, like, just some bald. Dude. He look, he's just very sarcastic. Like, why are you fucking here? We're all gonna die. Fuck you. Yeah, the, he, this dude, like, you look at him and you're like, oh, he listens to Tool. Yeah, he, he really <laughs> likes Tool. I got loves Tool. Um, so he tells Bashir to leave the planet immediately and forget about it. Bashir tells Dax that the painkiller he gave Norva isn't helping her physiology, uh, what isn't helping as her physiology is so different from theirs. Also noting that this means that the two of them are safe from infection, uh, which was actually brilliant plot armor. Yeah. Opinion. Yeah. I did. I, yeah. You did like that. Cause you're wondering like, uh, what shouldn't they be worried? You know? And just mm-hmm. like, but yeah, I mean, but that's something you totally accept. Like, okay. Yeah. I mean, they have totally different physiology. They're aliens. Like, mm-hmm. and as we'll learn later, but, like, but I mean, it's, it's plot armor at the same time. It's like on any foreign planet, you're like immediately susceptible to everything they have there. And they're su- yes. susceptible to everything you have, which is why like, you know, uh, the fucking like, you know, like Christopher Columbus, like caused like pandemics and plagues yes. by just dri- bringing over new diseases from, uh, you know, fucking Europe and shit. So, yeah. you know, they should probably be a lot more careful. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, at least they have biofilters, so they know that they're not bringing anything in, but like, yeah. I'd be afraid of getting all that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And I think it kind of, stopped, yeah, I mean, they already have like, kind of like, um, the, uh, like because of uh, Starfleet, I think they are kind of like inoculated mm-hmm. and kind of inoculate themselves to a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, so reaching the hospital, uh, after Dax traded in her hairpin for transport, the two Starfleet officers find a very unhospital like atmosphere. Uh, groups of people are all sitting on the floor surrounding one person with red lesions who is enjoying a meal. That sounds like a hospital to me. That's most hospitals I've been to. I don't know. Yeah. About you. It's most urgent cares around here. Yeah. Uh, an attendant seeing Norva tells his assistant that she has quickened and must be taken to Drayvon. When Trayvon enters, one of the people who is being celebrated thanks Trayvon for allowing him to enjoy a decent meal, a succulent Chinese meal, (laughs) one might say, and good sleep after finding out he had quickened. Trayvon then turns to Bashir and Dax and tells them 
that Norva didn't make it, and that if she had arrived sooner, then he could have done something for her. He then tells them that the blight is always fatal, which confuses Bashir as Trayvon had just said he might have been able to do something for her. So this is basically not a hospital, this is a hospice. Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, you need hospice. Hospice is very useful. Yeah. I've worked in a bunch of hospices, and they're uh, they're very useful, but they are depressing. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Man, they're soul-crushing. Jesus Christ, yikes. Big fucking yikes. Especially, like, the memory care patients there. No. That'll, mm. that'll destroy your soul, man. No, thank you. Bashir and Dax explain that they came to the planet answering a distress call and that they have sophisticated medical equipment. Trayvon tells them that they once had equipment just as sophisticated and tells them the story of the planet. Two centuries earlier, the planet was technologically advanced and the inhabitants were building great cities and traveling to neighboring worlds. When the Dominion came to the planet, the population attempted to resist, but they paid the price. The Jem'Hadar came and destroyed the world, and the Dominion wanted to use the planet as an example to others who thought they could defy them and then therefore infected them with the blight, mm. which is like the most fucked up thing of all time. Yeah. I mean, that's that, the craziest warfare to like, mm-hmm. like expose a population to everlasting biological warfare that becomes like genetic. Yeah. That's insanely fucked up. Yeah. That's like beyond fascism. Uh, yeah. But you know, we all know the dominion fucking really, really suck. Yeah, they do suck. Cool, but um, yeah, that was yeah that was that was pretty that was a pretty shocking turn. But that, yeah, I mean, but it just shows like yeah, nothing's off the table for them. Like, no, no. and they're and they're willing to just like play the long game and punish these people for two for two hundred years, mm-hmm. just like for their defiance. Yeah, which like really to me, one of the things like why it kind of sucks when they do like end of the universe stakes and like everything, every single Star Trek since this is like I feel like they still haven't created a presence or a villain that is in any way like as threatening as the dominion is. Yeah. Maybe the, the con the living construct is actually pretty good. Yeah. I buy that, but like, you know, nothing else. I'm like, eh, no, no, nothing else is that big of a threat comparatively. Um, now everyone is born with a disease and the disease may randomly become active or, quicken as they put it at any point in a person's life this is outwardly shown by the legions turning red and it means the person will die soon thereafter trayvon himself is one of the oldest surviving people in their entire society just then the man who thanked trayvon falls to the ground while everyone else simply watches bashir instinctively moves to help but is restrained by the attendants surrounding it turns out that when people quicken, they go to Trayvon to have their death induced with herbs. Bashir and Dax are infuriated by this and realize that he also killed Norva. Traven tells them that they've interfered with the man's death and orders them to leave. The officers are too shocked to argue. Now, this is an interesting episode for them to set up, especially during like the era of like Jack Kevorkian when that yeah. was like actually like important news. Right. That's true. Like, like most people like don't remember. Cause like, I mean, he died like a decade ago, but like mm-hmm. uh, Jack Kevorkian was like a big thing. And like, they even made a fucking HBO movie out of him with Al Pacino playing him like oh, wow. a decade ago. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, but like Jack of Orkin was a guy who was like, he was a doctor who was like super pro euthanasia. And so mm-hmm. like people with, you know, life, you know, terminal diseases would come to him and he would compassionately end their life. And he's like the person who really got the conversation going in America of um, death with dignity legislation, which yeah. thankfully exists in a lot of places now, including Washington state. Yeah. And this was also before uh, the Terry Schiavo. Remember Terry Schiavo? Of course. Yeah. And like, yeah. yeah and um, I was actually in Florida nearby that when that was going on. I was visiting a friend down there and uh, Terry Schiavo was going on. But yeah, that was. Did, um, did, is she the one who made you vegan? Because you only want to eat vegetables. <laughs> yeah. Hey, they had to, keep, right? they had to right. keep me out of there. <laughs> <laughs> Restrain me. But it's, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah. What at what point do we say like, okay, well, and and really like, I I feel like Trayvon is offering these people very useful service, you know, and yeah. you know, and and clearly like you know resources and and uh, standards of living are very low on this planet because like this this uh, blight has completely decimated their mm-hmm. entire culture it's, it's 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 set them back and um and now like everything's in disarray and so having a having a place where uh the dying can have like some some dignity mm-hmm. and uh and uh and um and uh experience like you know the small joys of life of living that they didn't have you know just just suffering you know it's Pretty nice, you know. Mm-hmm. He's doing a good job, you know. I think, you know, he's yeah. doing what doing what he can, you know. Yeah, with the and, best. And that's the world. thing is, like, I think Trayvon is doing a good thing here. Yeah. In, in his society, like, based on like you know what he's grown up around and everything, mm-hmm. like, based on everything in his society, he's doing the right thing, and he's like a heroic person in his society. Yeah. However, like Bashir is trying to do an opposite thing, mm-hmm. but he's also a hero according to his own societal rules. And yes. So this is one of those great. I think ethical and moral tales where it comes down to mm-hmm. like, you know, I mean, what did you grow up with? Like there, yeah. everyone has different systems and different like cultural touch points. And mm-hmm. like this culture is obviously very different for a very fucked up reason, but one that makes sense. Yeah. So like, does Bashir have a right to say, Hey, I'm going to fix all of you. And cause these people might not want to be fixed and it's, yeah. One of those things, like it's 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 a hard thing with things like disability, like you know, and uh, when it comes to like blind people and stuff, a lot of blind people who are born blind, especially, are like, I don't want sight because like it's not really, you know, it's not a handicap. It's mm-hmm. I live just a different life and I yeah. see in a different way than mm-hmm. other people do, and so it's not something you have to fix because I fixed it already mm-hmm. by occupying this world yeah which i'm like oh that's cool that's awesome that makes sense um Mm -hmm. and then there are some people who take it to another fucking level Mm -hmm. and are like uh anyone who has a disability and wants to be fixed is wrong yeah and people who think that are disabled (laughs) (laughs) they're mentally handicapped because that is like that is literally saying Oh no, people uh, who are handicapped should not be allowed to have agency over their bodies. Yeah. No. Yeah. Which is like, that's fucked up. No. Everyone has a right to do mm-hmm. what the what the fuck they want to with their body. Yeah. I, I don't care what it is. Mm-hmm. It's their goddamn body. Yeah. And Trayvon, you know, you know, and I think he's definitely accepted the reality of their situation where they like, you know, uh, they don't have doctors. No. Like there's nobody there's they have no facilities which they can like ever hope to 
find a cure for this themselves. No, no. And and not, and I think he mentions how like they've been uh, conned by people in the past who have mm. offered you know fake, Con. conned they've been conned um, by people in the past who have like taken advantage of them and mm. um, taken just taken what supply what little supplies they do have and then just like left them with some snake oil type mm. shit. So. So Dex uh, now finds the distress beacon, which I feel like because of situations like this, the very first thing they should always do is find the distress beacon. Yeah. And figure out if it's like, I don't know, a few hundred years old yeah. or something like that. <laughs> so she finds the distress beacon, which is automated with its own independent power source and has actually been operating for over 200 years, mm-hmm. which is like, okay, well, back up here. <laughs> like, because basically they, they... Then they went to a civilization that went from a warp civilization to a pre-warp civilization. Yes. And although they probably have had contact with like warp civilizations, they don't know that for certain. Mm -hmm. They have no idea if that's true or not. Like they could have just taken a huge shit on the prime directive and they'd be like, oops. Yeah. Which is not great. Not great. Yeah. I mean, Trayvon does say like, yeah, like, um, we did have, we did, we did, we used to go to the stars Mm -hmm. and. And we were just like you at one time, but yeah, it's like, yeah, I mean, they, they don't, they haven't had that technology in some time. Mm So yeah, they're, they're basically in their, in a dark age, you know, like, uh, and we're like a dork age. Dork age. Got him. Fuck him. Bashir feels that there's nothing he can do for people who don't want their help and recommends leaving the planet when they meet a pregnant woman named Ecoria. Mm-hmm. Ecoria was in uh, Traven's hospital, or rather hospice, and is curious about Bashir. Yeah, she was like what, probably one of the friends of family that dude that died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, as she has never met a doctor before, she tells Bashir she is pregnant and due in two months' time. Well, this doesn't seem so long to him. She tells him it is, as the people get no warning as to when they will quicken. Just then. The discussion is interrupted when Kira calls the two and gives them some bad news. Two Jem'Hadar ships have been detected heading in their direction. Back in the runabout, uh, it emerges that the Jem'Hadar ships are moving between star systems on what is obviously a patrol route and will soon enter theirs. Kira suggests returning to the Alpha Quadrant and arranging for a relief mission when, uh, with Starfleet. But that could take weeks. Mm-hmm. Bashir references a recent case when, uh, during a plague on Baranus Three that was killing thousands, it took an hour to identify the pathogen and three days to inoculate the population. Mm-hmm. Kira is persuaded to leave the other two on the planet and says she will hide the runabout in a nearby nebula and return for them in a week. What's Kira doing for a week in that runabout? I wonder. <laughs> I, I was wondering that. Like, she's probably getting turned. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, because like they don't have a holodeck there or anything, right? Well, I was th- I was assuming that she'd probably go just to some other in- inhabited planet and just hang out with those people. Uh, I mean, she says she is going to hide the runabout in a nebula and return in a week. Maybe she went to stasis. Nah, she probably won't do that. She's nah. probably just she's probably just doing work. They're probably just like. Just hanging out, you know, doing the things that she does like to do, which she's is writing like, her Braille fanfic. Yeah, writing <laughs> Braille fanfic, you know. And she's probably getting freaky up in there, you mm. know. She was watching all sorts of shit. Rubbing all kinds of stuff against her nose. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you know, she's doing, she's hanging out, you know. I imagine, like, you know, she's just, like, having some downtime, a little, little her time. I wonder if they, they have, like, some sort of, like, hot tub on there she can just hang out in. 
Yeah, I'm sure they have a little spa. Kind yeah, of just a little. Just they got to have something because they don't have a holodeck. You got to have some kind of like cool recreational thing there. Yeah, I'm sure, but I'm sure that she is just doing work of some kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some sort of like a uh, paperwork. Yeah, she, she, she is definitely like buried in her work. She's yeah, she's that kind of person. She's definitely a workaholic. Yeah, yeah, and maybe just watching some TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever. The, only Tom Paris has a TV. Yeah, Come that's on. true. <laughs> So after returning to the planet, Dax and Bashir are offered a place to stay and work by Ikoria. While setting up their equipment, Dax asks about a hanging painting of the city in happier times. Ikoria tells him that her husband painted it before he died the previous winter, and that he also painted a nearby mural of the same picture to give hope and inspiration to other Mm. people on a plague planet. (laughs) Yeah, on the plague planet. Bashir finishes setting up and tells Akoria he needs to run a scan on someone with a disease, to which Akoria happily volunteers. Bashir begins a scan and offers to show her a picture of her baby on the medical tricorder. Akoria agrees and looks on in absolute wonder. Yeah. He does do like kind of like a little thing where he'd like, Oh, let me show you a picture of your of your uh of your uh of your child and then like kinda like puts his arms around her from behind. And yeah, it's like, easy. Like, like, let oh. me let me teach you how to play golf over here. Like, so you got was, so you got those lesions everywhere, girl. <laughs> hey, uh, can you get pregnant from the back too? Yeah. But she was just like coming off with like some bit of a you know. It's like, bro. Tone down the little, like, the, like, hey, you're only going to be alive for probably a couple more months. Might as well have all the fun you can. <laughs> this isn't a sexually transmitted disease, is it? Like, yeah. <laughs> just making sure. Uh, just, just uh, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I don't want the, the quickening on my dickening, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> the, the dickening. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was definitely like yeah, just kind of like yeah, just kind of like teasing a little little bit of a sexual tension between them that yeah, but we'll get into it probably in panel. Yeah, I love hitting on uh, terminal pregnant women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like he was coming off very very flirty with her, and yeah. it was just like. Bro, she's, for one, she's pregnant. Like, Two, she's so, going to die. So, <laughs> But you don't know which comes first, do you? Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you, I'll come first. Yeah. <laughs> you, that's to be decided. Who knows? <laughs> probably a no. But probably no. We'll see if I can figure it out. Yeah. You have different anatomy. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, later, both Bashir and Dax are hard at work and make their first important step when Bashir isolates the virus, meaning he can start mapping it and possibly create an antigen. Hells yeah. Akoria offers them both food and gives them the food that she was saving for her death. Yeah, it's wild. She tells them she feels she doesn't need it any longer. What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Bashir now needs someone who has quickened. However, finding someone willing to help is proving easier said than done. Bashir bumps into Eprin, who has suddenly quickened. He is surprised they are still there and tells them he would have invited them to his death had he known him better. Bashir asks, what if he didn't have to die at all? This catches the attention of Eprin and a few other people. However, Eprin is skeptical and thinks it's going to cost him something, to which Bashir tells him that isn't true and proves his knowledge when he uses an estogenic stimulator to fix the fracture in a boy's arm. He's like, would you like to go play with your friends? Mm-hmm. And then he fixes his arm and the kid like runs off without thanking him. Yeah. Fucking little brat. Well, the kid's surprised. He's like, what the fuck? Oh, that's cool. 
Yeah, you say fucking thank you <laughs> when someone surprises you by doing something nice. Especially, yeah. I don't know, fixing your broken arm? No, I'm guessing, like, uh, being that kid, I'm guessing a lot of not, not a lot of good things have happened in his life, so he doesn't know how to respond. Perhaps. Because yeah, he's like, you know, what, what good things have happened to this kid? You know, he's born on a plague planet. Like, I don't know. He's, everything he sucks. survived until, like, young adulthood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he survived to 10. What more does he want? He survived long enough to break his arm. Yeah. Fucking don't ask for any more, boy. <laughs> um, so Trayvon arrives and says uh, that others have promised a cure before. And all they have done is taken food and clothes and left them with nothing. Mm. And the people who believed them all went to Trayvon in the end. Bashir in turn assures Trayvon and the others that he gives no guarantees about his efforts. Why would, why would anybody with warp technology need food and clothes from these people? You yeah. can just materialize that shit. Like these, these people have like absolutely mm-hmm. nothing and nothing that anyone with any technology would want. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. Yeah, I mean, but I, I guess apparently Orions don't have replicators a hundred years ago. Yeah, I mean, who knows what? Yeah, I mean, they probably just saw someone they could take advantage of and just decided to. Maybe. Yeah, perhaps. So, returning to his makeshift lab, uh, Bashir is despondent that he couldn't get any volunteers to help him. Akoria tells him that she used to wake up hoping she had quickened so she could go to Trayvon, but that changed when she learned she was pregnant. Now she wants to be there for her son when he grows up. Dax then arrives, and it turns out that Eprin has volunteered to be Bashir's test subject, finally becoming a not-hater. Yeah, he is, he is still kind of sarcastic when he comes he in. Is, yeah, he is, it's, but it's he's, really fun. He's a little bit less of a hater. Now. Yeah, he's a little bit less of a hater. Oh, he's like, gosh. yeah, he's like, why not, you know? You're dying anyway. Yeah, well, what do I got to lose? My yeah. life? Yeah. <laughs> What's he going to do? Kill me? Yeah. Uh, so Bashir has several people, um, all in various stages of the disease and is making good progress. He instructs Accordia in the use of a hypospray and she injects herself with its contents and moves on to everybody else. Mm-hmm. However, he doesn't tell her that the hypo contains what he believes to be the antigen against the blight. Also, Eprin has stopped responding to cortisine for the pain and now has a device emitting an inhibitor field on his forehead. Dax tells Julian that he's been awake nonstop for days working on this, and he should go get some rest. That's why I do like how Ephraim is like, um, you know, he's like hitting on hitting on Dax like, I like your spots. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I mean, she's like, you have the plague. <laughs> <laughs> you have the plague. And you told me that yesterday. He's just like, I just want you to know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like, he's, I still like him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, credit to him. You know, he's decided to be also like, you know, in his final moments, you know, like be as horny as possible. Yeah. It's like, if the quickening didn't take away my dick, <laughs> you have no idea how hard I try to hit it. I'd, I'd show you the throbbing red va- veins on my dick. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> instead. <laughs> Show you the main vein, baby. <laughs> Hells yeah. Uh, so going outside, Akoria tells Bashir that Efren's white blood cell count has increased by 12%, which Bashir confirms is a good sign because mm-hmm. he prefers it when they're white. <laughs> he then compliments her on her good bedside matter, manner, rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she tells him she was just trying to be kind. Mm. Uh Bashir tells her that some people don't like to be around the sick because it reminds them of their own mortality. And he can sometimes be the same. 
Ikoria reminds him that death gets everyone, but Bashir tells her it won't get Kolokala, his teddy bear, from when he was a young boy. He carried him around everywhere, and one day, when his leg ripped open, he performed his first surgery at the age of five and stitched him back together. He then admits that Kokala now sits on a shelf in his quarters. Just then, the moment is interrupted when Dax arrives, panicked, telling Bashir that something is wrong. He goes inside to find Eprim and Payne with new lesions on his face. That's not wrong. That was expected to happen, I guess. But I guess he did try to inoculate him. Yeah. Um, and it seemed to, yeah, it seemed to be accelerating at a much higher rate, yeah. So Eprin now has several new lesions on his face and is in terrible pain as the virus has suddenly mutated. Almost certainly antigen hasn't caused it, Bashir uses a microcellular scanner to f- try and find out what's wrong. However, when he passes the scanner over the affected area, several more welts suddenly emerge and inflame. The terrible truth hits Bashir. The EM fields from his instruments are what is causing the virus to mutate so violently. Yeah, which is another sinister aspect of this disease that the founders created where it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's probably why um, uh, their ancestors destroyed a lot of the technology and why they can't use it. Cause it so they can't spread it? Yeah, and, mm-hmm. uh, or, and, it, and uh, probably um, the, the, um, the technology accelerated right, the, right, the right. disease, so they probably figure that out and destroyed it. And that's part of why yeah, they, went. which is super fucking sinister. Yeah. Like, super that's, sinister. That's nuts. So yeah. like you basically force these people like back into the stone age. It's totally crazy. Yeah. So just then another woman starts to scream quickly, followed by everybody else, all suffering the same reaction and Bashir screams for everything to be shut down. Dax and Akoria scramble to switch everything off as Bashir tries to stop the mutation but it's no use, and Eprin dies in horrible agony. Yeah. That's what you get for being a hater. <laughs> uh, Bashir then tries to use CPR to try and resuscitate him, uh, and grows manic in his attempts to revive him well past the point of no return, forcing Jadzia to pull him back. Mm. Which uh, reminded me of a scene in ER. Never watched it. Really? I have watched Revenge of the Nerds, which has the guy from ER in it. Anthony, <laughs> Anthony Green? Yeah, something. Yeah. There's also a great paintball film he's in called Gotcha. Mm. See that? <laughs> it's a paintball film. Oh, good for paintball. Yeah, paintball had that resurgence. You know, had the William Shatner one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, had the Anthony Green one, whatever his name is. <laughs> no, he was Doctor Green in the show. Uh, it it's Anthony something. I think. Yeah, forget what it is. He's been bald since he was like 25. Yeah. Feel bad for the guy. Um, so, uh, Trayvon, uh, enters having heard what's happened and one of the women begs for his help and to end her terrible suffering. Mm-hmm. Bashir tries to stop Trayvon, uh, but Trayvon tells him not to interfere and gives the woman a vial of poison, allowing her to die. Good job, Trayvon. Yeah. Then all the other patients start calling for Trayvon and Bashir simply stands in the center of the room devastated and unwilling to stop him. Yeah. That's, he's just helpless because he has enough. Yeah. Trayvon. He, he's fucked everything up. And now like Trayvon is the only one who can help these people in any way, mm. which is fucked up. Yeah. So the next morning, Bashir stands among the now covered bodies of the people he was supposed to help and blames himself for what happened. He knows there were changes in the viral sequence and should have realized what was happening. 
Dax tries to assure him that there was no way he could have known their instruments would cause the virus to react like that. Dax attempts to console him, but it's no use, and he admits that he was looking forward to telling people he had cured the blight. But now he knows that there is no cure. The Dominion made sure of it, and he was arrogant to think he could find a cure in a week. Mm. Dax tells him that might have been arrogant, but it's far more arrogant to think there is no cure just because he can't find it. Yeah. Which is actually great writing. Right? Yeah, I do, I, and I do like, yeah, just, it. this is a great, this is a great uh, Bashir episode because, yeah, it just shows, like, you know, he's, you know, even though he is so smart and talented, mm-hmm. that he is very cocky and because of his, like, abilities and, and it's just like, you know, we do all come upon those situations where, you know, it's something that we're trained to do and just can't, doesn't pan out the way we want it and, mm-hmm. well, disappointing and, demoralizing that is yeah. you know, and like, he's seen like oh maybe they're right maybe there is nothing I can do for these people yeah and like Dr. Bashir is like a doctor at heart and in mm-hmm. fact I think he's one of the best doctors in all of Star Trek yeah. because like he is always trying to help the most he can yes like he's always doing the bones I'm a doctor damn it a yeah. doctor thing like mm-hmm. whenever anyone is sick or in need of medical help Dr. Bashir is always on it as quickly as he can oh yeah like quicker than, quicker than Esri Dax even. Yeah. And that's what I also like about the messages in this. And like, this is like, you know, episode from what, 1996. Correct. And it's like, just shows, you know, they were on like, you know, healthcare should be free mm-hmm. to everyone. And like, and everyone deserves the highest level of care. And you see that in all of the Star Treks, you know, it's just like, cause it's true, you know, like, you know, healthcare should healthcare shouldn't have any sort of financial barrier and or employment and, barrier or employment barrier. It should just be it should just be accessible and like and, and it shows like you know these people have been abandoned, taken advantage of, and mm-hmm. left to die, and have accepted like this path for themselves. That oh, oh, the only the only the only truth that we have is that we're just going to die, and we have no and there and there's no reason to even like maintain a civilization and or have hope for anything better. And, and it just shows like how like healthcare can change that for them and, you know, being healthy and thriving and stuff like that. And yeah, you know, it's, it's like some, some stuff that's like, it's like, you know, it's hard to, the a message that's hard for people to accept now, you know, there's people mm-hmm. who are being like, let them die. Fuck free healthcare. I ain't paying for it. And just like, it's just such a, um, it's such a nihilistic view it's, that we've accepted for ourselves and, it's in, so hum- in real life. And nihilistic. And it, 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 it fucking blows me away how like cynical and shitty people are to other people. Like yeah. even people who have like done wrong things, like people are so punitive. Like yeah. there was a, a thread that I commented on Reddit like <laughs> a, a few days ago about Alex Jones. Like Alex Jones, obviously the law is finally making him pay for his many, many, yeah indiscretions and just being a dog shit human being. And he's, 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 yeah, and the thing is yeah, he's made that money off of like, right. cap, off of right. like, which like, yeah. So he deserves no success. He yeah. deserves to be publicly ostracized. You know, he deserves to have no money, all of that kind of thing. He deserves mm-hmm. to have an uncomfortable life. Yeah. I'll say that. Yeah. However, the, the, the fucking, the name on this thread was, let's make Alex Jones homeless. Uh, yeah. He lost his court case. And like, I, I just wrote on the thread, like, maybe we shouldn't want anybody to be homeless. No. No matter how bad they are, like no one should be wishing because fucking he has kids. Like no one should be wishing him to be homeless because that means his children and his wife are homeless. And like, 
No and, one should wish that on anybody. That's and being, fucked up. And, and being homeless shouldn't be a, a, a punishment. punishment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy that we look at things punitively like that mm-hmm. though. And like, and so I, I wrote that. I was like, Hey, maybe no one should be unhoused and yeah. maybe you shouldn't wish that on his kids. Like, Obviously, he deserves to be ostracized. Basically, what I just said there, and I got downvoted, and people are like, yeah. no, he deserves to be homeless. And yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, are, are people that dumb? And they, yes, they are. That's the thing. It's yeah. like, people are that dumb. They just want to punish things that they don't like. Yeah. That's the only thing that drives politics anymore. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing that drives a lot of people's personal preferences on things. Yeah. It's fucking insane. Like a lot of people only like rappers who dislike the rappers that they dislike. Yeah. I'm like, that's dumb. <laughs> like you're just like liking art for contrarian reasons. Yeah. That's worthless. <laughs> like, yeah. But yeah. Like, yeah, just his ability to to con people should be removed. Con, con, not yeah, just like be taken advantage. Of. I mean, like Alex Jones would have definitely sold like brain force pills to these people and, mm-hmm. and, and as, as as cures, 100%. and then ran, and then ran away screaming like, mm-hmm. no, it's like no, these people need these people need care. These people need need help. They need health care and they need to have hope for and to to and be happy. Oh yeah, Alex Jones would be like. Um... It's Dr. Bashir. He's trying to put the microchip in, in all of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You think that's a real vaccine? Yeah. I don't think so. It's already killed a room full of people. Um, so uh, while looking at the picture of the city and happier times, Akoria approaches Bashir. Oh, sorry. So Bashir is left alone to think things over. Uh, Bashir, he walks down the street and is reviled by all of the people in the village, but he doesn't acknowledge their hatred. He spots the mural of the city that he heard about from Akoria and goes to look at it. While looking at the picture of the city in happier times, Akoria approaches Bashir from behind and tells him she's glad he got the chance to see it. He turns to look at her and is upset to see that she has quickened. <laughs> yeah. He we are born to be kings. <laughs> we're the princes of the youth. Right? Yeah. He just cut off her head. Yeah. Got all of her powers. And that's how he finds, oh, then he gets the quickening. <laughs> Exactly. He's like, he's like he's oh like, god! Oh! oh wait, everybody on this planet has killed another person, and that's and accept and absorb their essence. Yeah, even the children. Even the children. So uh, she, Akoria, thanks Bashir for giving her hope, and she really thought she was going to make it to the end of her pregnancy, but now she is going to see Trayvon and bids Bashir farewell. As she leaves, however, Bashir asks her to wait, having had a change of heart. The runabout has returned to the planet, but Bashir tells Kira and Dax he can't leave the people now. He is told to contact the station when he is ready, and Dax bids him a fond farewell before he returns to the planet alone with his medical equipment. Akoria is now Bashir's sole patient, and after examining her using old-fashioned, low-level non-electromagnetic equipment, he is confused to find no trace of the antigen in her system. He reasons that her immune system must have rejected it when suddenly Akoria feels some pain from the blight. Bashir advises her against receiving any more corzine for the pain as there's already so much in her system it might harm the baby. She agrees to forego it. Later, Bashir prepares a salve for her and takes the opportunity to examine the baby. Uh, she says the salve sounds, smells bad and she doesn't want to drink it. <laughs> but it's a salve. Yeah. Uh, I said she, it's a song, you dumb bitch. Don't you even, don't you know what medicine is? 
that's the problem. You never fucking listen to me. <laughs> so, uh, Bashir says the baby is growing stronger and will be a term in six weeks, but it's clear that Akoria isn't going to last that long. So Bashir tells her that the baby should be strong enough to survive in two weeks mm-hmm. and then he'll induce labor. I mean, babies can survive like three months prematurely. I don't know about these, but like yeah. human babies, like I was over six weeks premature. Oh, wow. And I'm fucking here. Yeah. And somehow like grew up to be big. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. There's like, there's like little preemies that are just like little guys. No. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was apparently like small enough to fit in your hand when I was born. Damn. Which is fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Someone, good thing no one decided to bite into you like an apple. Just like, yeah, maybe for you. <laughs> Think about me. I, I gotta yeah. live on this fucking planet. Yeah, yeah. I gotta do this goddamn podcast every week. Come on, man. <laughs> but it's, um, so later, Trayvon visits Akoria and offers her the chance to die, telling her that her child will only know peace. Akoria refuses, saying her child deserves a chance to live, and Bashir confronts him and asks why he's so obsessed with death given he survived the blight longer than anyone. Yeah. This is a decent line. <laughs> yeah, but he's, but I mean, he's seen the most death. And, yeah, right? Yeah, he's yeah. like, he's just like, I, you know what my job is? Like, people come to me to die. I, mm-hmm. I professionally watch people die. Like, yeah, yeah. I run a hospice. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Trayvon responds that the reason he's obsessed with death is because he's seen so much of it, as well as so much suffering because mm-hmm. of it, and he doesn't want to see suffering. Mm-hmm. He wishes Aquaria well and hopes she lives to see her baby. He leaves and Bashir begins to appreciate his situation. Mm-hmm. has made it past the two weeks and is now giving birth to her baby. She pushes as hard as she can and gives birth to a baby boy, but the effort takes almost all the life out of her. Bashir cleans the child and is astonished to find no lesions on the child's body. He is free of the blight. Bashir realizes that the antigen must have been absorbed through the placenta and immune, uh, immunized him to the disease. Although he cannot find a cure, he has made a vaccine. Mm. Akoria smiles, happy that her son will live a full life. And then she dies. Yeah. Bashir is torn between his joy and his devastation. Bashir reports the news to an astounded Trayvon and tells him that all pregnant women must be given the antigen immediately. The people cannot be saved, but their children can. Mm. Trayvon promises to make sure the antigen gets to everyone and holds the child, a beacon of hope in their dark and devastated world. Back on DS9, Bashir is working hard and late into the night, analyzing the virus when Captain Sisko enters after reading Bashir's report and congratulates him on a job well done. Bashir thanks him, but it doesn't make him feel any better about the people still dying on that world. Sisko reminds Bashir that, because of him, their children will not suffer in the same way. Bashir knows, but it's small comfort. Sisko nods and leaves Bashir alone to his work, and the doctor continues his efforts to find a cure. Yeah. The end. Boom. What'd you think? Oh, I like this episode a lot. Like, uh, I think it's like a good Bashir episode, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, it it's kind of a, uh, you know, a blow to his uh, his cockiness a little. Like a little he's, bit, huh? He realizes, like, you know, he can't solve every issue. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, he, and, um, you know, he has to 
you know, be a little bit more humble when he approaches his things and like take it more seriously because, you know, the entire, you know, he, like the episode starts with him just being like, of course I can solve this. And, and then when they said they didn't want his help, he was kind of pouting. Like he's got, think you notice that? Like he was pouting, like, let's leave. Yeah. And like, he's like, I don't want my help. And, <laughs> and like, um, and like, acting like, of course I can solve this problem. It's like, it's, it's, it, uh, it's like something I can easily do. And, but it's, no, it's like, um, like, uh, it's a very difficult disease. And, you know, it was created by the dominion, you know, mm-hmm. it was bi- biologically created for these people. I think it's, going to take a little bit more than a week <laughs> to uh to uh take care of it and it's a great episode for him and right. i like that and also like this episode in a really subtle way like makes the dominion even bigger villains than they already were yeah like this is like a terrifying fucked up thing yes this is like beyond biological this is biological warfare like slow burn genocide, mm-hmm. which is all sorts of fucked up. This is like a recurring genocide mm-hmm. that is like generational at this point. Yeah. Which is crazy fucked up. Yeah. Worse than the bubonic plague for us, you mm-hmm. know, and like during yeah. the plague, you know, it's like, this has gone on for 200 years where it's just like reduced this one thriving, um, world into just like a shadow of what it once was because, you know, like, like uh, they all the people have lost hope. They've and I think they they talk about how people have come to worship death, mm-hmm. and that's the the only thing they can hope for is just they're like all goth. Yeah, they're all goth. The fucking Dominion turn them all goth. <laughs> yes. Like the only thing they can hope for is like dying, and uh, that's 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 their own that's their only um that's their only respite from uh from this thing is just dying. And so like mm-hmm. they have no they have no desire to build civilization or build anything else, and just just live in the ruins of their, of their former glory. It's kind of, yeah. it's very sad. And yeah, just, yeah, it is yes. fucked up. Yeah. yeah. And like, yeah, the Dominion probably should have, I mean, I mean, it comes back later. Cause you know, like, um, you know, later, uh, the Federation then uses Odo to poison. That's true. The, the founders, the yeah. founders. Yeah. So yeah. And they kind of, you know, uh, Federation kind of does it back. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, but I mean, the Federation is desperate. They're like yeah. losing a war against a fascist, fucked up government. Yeah, and so you know, that's that's one thing that I I think is super interesting about DS Nine. It's not. I mean, it doesn't have the best politics of a Star Trek show. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'd say maybe TNG does because TNG has the benefit of them not staying in one place mm-hmm. and having to face a fucking like destructive force every mm-hmm. week. They have the moral superiority of being colonists going and helping everybody every yeah. week. Whereas like basically DS9 has the exact opposite situation. And so because of that, I feel like the intrigue is more interesting. Like the moral stances and the ethical stances that they have to take because of like, you know, wartime, mm-hmm. like, you know, operations, like it's more interesting and like actually like looking at it is yeah. more interesting to me than watching an episode mm-hmm. of TNG where everyone in Starfleet is correct. And at the end, fucking Jean-Luc Picard does a lawyer thing and shows everybody why Starfleet's correct. Mm-hmm. Whereas like DS nine, sometimes at the end of the episode, Starfleet fucks up. Starfleet doesn't do the right thing. Starfleet can't help. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's always interesting when that happens because yeah. that's more realistic than 
you know, your government entity always being correct about everything. Yeah. That doesn't and, happen. And solving the solving the issue by the end of the episode. Right, right. Which is yeah. like a very, once again, kind of American exceptionalism type yeah. idea, which is like why I love DS9 is because it doesn't feed us that American exceptionalism bullshit. Yeah. It shows everything exists in a shade of gray. Yeah. And, you know, and, why, and I like this episode because, yeah, and at the end, you know, Sheer does kind of come up with a cure, but it's, kind but, of. but yeah. And like, uh, for, for their future generations, but at the meantime, like untold thousands of people are still going to be suffering and mm-hmm. dying from this. Like, oh. you know, yeah, and there's lots of you know children that are just going to die in really awful ways, but they do have hope, which is good. I mean, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, it's nice that he's like, uh, has, a, has found a cause and, and then he, he hopes to fight for it. It'd be cool at the end if they're like, and now we have hope. And he's like, speaking of which, and then he gets a big Obama poster that says hope on the bottom. <laughs> What's that up for that? He goes, he goes to that mural that Acoria's husband painted and then he just paints the hope thing over <laughs> it. <laughs> and they're like, what the fuck? That was one of our biggest inspiring pieces of art. <laughs> it's like, hey, Trayvon, have you ever heard of someone named Trayvon Martin <laughs> paints a mural him. <laughs> Just like looking at each other. Like, like, what what how about George Floyd? <laughs> like, what, what's going on? Uh, all right. Well, that, uh, oh yeah. And uh, my feelings on the episode. I thought it was pretty good. It was yeah. better than I remembered because I watched it, I think, last year. And I was yeah. like, as eh, a dirty people episode. And so the thing is, season four is amazing. Yeah. Uh, season four, like... Almost every episode slaps. Yeah. I don't feel like this one slaps, mm-hmm. but it's good. It's, it's one good. of the it's one of the weaker episodes in season four, but it's still good, which yeah. shows you how good season four is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's fine. I'd give it maybe like a, uh, a seven. Yeah. I'd give it a six and a half or a seven. It's yeah. good. Um there's lots of good character stuff, you there's know. There's a lot of good character Alexander stuff. Alexander Siddix does a great job, like, you know, and mm-hmm. I like the like the little Scenes of him palling around with Dax and yeah. Kira. And- I, my only real problem is because it is a single plot episode, mm-hmm. it is a little bit slowly paced. Yeah. It does have like slow pacing. There were several scenes where I'm like, they didn't really need that. That kind of just said what they were saying a few scenes ago. Yeah. Um. So like it really could have used a B plot. Uh, mm. Maybe like Kira doing something or something could have been fun. Maybe going some back to Quark, going back to Quark's um, uh, advertising thing. Oh, that 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 could be fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or like, yeah, if it keeps on like, uh, but like, probably adding like a big com- comedic uh, um, subplot. Well, yeah, been. what would be fun is if it was that subplot, but it's like Worf keeps on trying to do things <laughs> and it keeps on like upping the ante of where he's advertising. <laughs> yeah. like, he's trying to take a sonic shower and it yeah. like starts singing the Quark theme. It's like. <laughs> like, you know. But it would be funny that would juxtapose with like the um the misery yeah, yeah, of, exactly. the, of the planet. Mm-hmm. But that that would just kind of be kind of off putting yeah, so, like because like they'd just be like quark and yeah. then like and then like cut to the uh, pregnant woman dying <laughs> of the disease. It's just like it's like, just like now, now you can have the baby before you die. Yeah. <laughs> Which is probably why they cut out like any sort of like B plot comedic B plot. Like, yeah, well, no, maybe no, no. no. I think this is brilliant. I, <laughs> I would personally love it. That would be that would be like the funniest juxtaposition. <laughs> yeah, just like going, yeah, from Quark being silly, uh, being a silly little criminal goof on on DS Nine to pregnant woman dying of a yeah, terminal disease. That's, <laughs> you know what? Fuck tone. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Cut. Print. Go. <laughs> Uh, we'd love to see it. All right. So with that, would you like to get into the Klingon word of the day? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. 
Today's Klingon word is get. Get. Which means run. Run? Yes, if you were to use it in a sentence, you would say, come to Quarks. Quarks is fun. Come right now. Don't walk. Get. Ah. <laughs> so well, it doesn't rhyme anymore. Oh, no, that's true. <laughs> or like, uh, oh, God damn it. I ate 13 Jack in the Box tacos yesterday and I have the cats. <laughs> Yeah, you can use that. It's catching down my leg. <laughs> <laughs> it's raining like <laughs> it's raining like men. <laughs> it's raining. Hallelujah! It's raining like cats and cats <laughs> down my damn leg. Cats and dogs. Cats and dogs. <laughs> yep. Cool. Yeah. Uh, always cat from the police. <laughs> okay. That's enough of that. Uh, yeah. With that, you want to listen to some subspace transmissions? Let's do it. Subspace transmissions. Subspace transmissions. Hey, it's subspace transmissions. It's that part of the show where we take a deep dive into the internet and figure out what they're saying about this episode. But you know what? There was so much information on Memory Alpha about this episode that we're just going to read information about this episode because that's fascinating. Hells yeah. We don't need to read what dumbasses have to say about this episode. I want to know information. Yeah. Lions don't care about the opinions of sheep. Mm. <laughs> a, wolves don't lose sleep over the opinions of sheep. I don't know. I, I just, believe that's the phrase. That's probably it. It is the phrase. <laughs> <laughs> The concept for this, uh, so from the story and script section of their memory alpha, the concept for this episode originated with Iris Stephen Bear after watching the 1995 Michael Hoffman film Restoration. The theme of the movie and the idea that Bear wanted to bring to the world of DS9 was what would happen when an inherently moral doctor is placed in a situation he is unable to control. Mm. Uh, this led Bear to propose that Bashir should be placed in the middle of a planet-wide epidemic and no matter how hard he tries, he simply cannot come up with a cure. Mm -hmm. uh, also on Bear's mind was the fact that Greg Duffy Long, an office assistant, had just died of AIDS. Mm. According to Bear, uh, quote, my wife Laura works closely with AIDS Project Los Angeles, and the whole AIDS thing was on all of our minds. So we just wanted to come up with a disease that breaks your heart. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I get, I mean, I can see that, like, I, there was lots of AIDS, AIDS parallels with this. And I, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure like lots of like people who worked in healthcare and people who were, you know, suffering from AIDS or, you mm -hmm. know, people, who you know, you know, re, you know, related to those people suffering from AIDS. I kind of felt that sort of like, you know, impotence kind of just like, you know, finding a cure or like having tackling it in some way. So, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, but, you know, at the end, you know, we do get that ray of hope. But yeah, I mean. Again, like, you know, he doesn't fully cure it. True. true. Yeah. Uh, so because he was too busy himself, uh, Bear hired Nareen Shankar to write the teleplay. Although Shankar ultimately decided to drop the AIDS metaphor saying, quote, I didn't give the sense that the people were outlets or outcasts or pariahs, which is how AIDS patients are often perceived. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so next we got to Renee Ashivira did an uncredited rewrite of the episode. Ashrivia commented, it's such a cliche of Star Trek that you come in, solve the problem, and then go. Mm -hmm. So we turn that on its ear. 
Bashir did get some of the way there, but you know he learned a humbling lesson there along the way. Mm -hmm. He went in utterly confident that he would be able to do it in a week. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's cool. That's, that's, yeah. that's good dynamic writing. Um, so the working title of the episode was, quote, The Healing Touch. Yeah, that's it. Uh, uh, this title was given to the episode by writer Noreen Shakar, but it was changed by Rene Ashierva because the producers felt that it implied Bashir would be successful in his fight against the blight. Mm -hmm. Ashivria uh, chose the new title of The Quickening as a pun. In the context of the episode, to quicken means that the disease has become active, but to quicken in reality also means to come alive. So the title refers to both death and birth. Mm. Ashivria was particularly proud of this double meaning. Yeah. Apparently never watched Highlander. Yeah. <laughs> Triple meeting, dumbass. Yeah. They're probably like, oh, just like Highlander. Like what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> then learned a horrible lesson that day. So this, this is a fun one. Um, so Trevian is an anagram for veteran. Mm. And Acoria. Oh, yeah, yeah. Acoria, which was the original name of Acoria, is an anagram for rookie. Mm. Interesting. Uh, these names were created by Noreen Shankar, who noted, small things like that help me to focus when I'm creating characterization. Mm. Which is cool. I mean, he was a showrunner of an awesome fucking show. Yeah. So, yeah, cool. Whatever whatever helps you. Yeah. Right. That makes sense in both of their characters. And, like, Corey is, like, very, like, you know, she, she, she's very uh, kind of almost... Filled with two, like lots of hope and just like and in, in looking forward to how, uh, helping in any way she can, you know, mm -hmm. like being like Bashir's a uh, nurse and, you know, and just having that sort of like positive outlook where, you know, um, Trayvon's kind of like, you know, the the grizzled veteran who knows the reality and accepts, yeah. accepts the truth. But, you know, you do see that in, at the time at the end, you know, mm -hmm. Trevin just like he's like. Good job, dog. Good job, dog. I'm, 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 I can, I can, I can take this in. I can adapt. To I'm going to go try to impregnate some women. <laughs> yeah, he's like, make some of these new good yeah. babies. Who wants some Trayvon sperm? <laughs> Who wants some, some sperm? It's the oldest sperm in the village. <laughs> oh God. But then you know how we saw like during COVID, like unvaccinated sperm will be the next, the new Bitcoin or whatever. Oh, I mean that. Yeah. That's why bones balls are worth so much. Yeah. So like, you don't you dare vaccinate my sperm, Jim. I could see Trayvon like being like, do you want, you know, I've lived the longest. Who <laughs> Our wants entire planet is full of unvaccinated sperm. <laughs> Take my sperm instead of the vaccine. <laughs> Just inject it right in your mouth. <laughs> oh, I got, no, 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 no. You don't, no, you don't, you don't need any kind of, any kind of hypodermic needle. I got a, I got a tool right here for you. <laughs> yeah, got, yeah, yeah. Zip. <laughs> I got 10 cc's of an oral injection right here. And by 10 cc's, I mean 10 centimeters. <laughs> that's a, that's a hard four inches. <laughs> <laughs> Nine and three fours. <laughs> um, <laughs> just like Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, okay, so. Uh, that was all the story and script stuff. So now on to production details. Uh, this episode was filmed prior to, to the death, but aired one week later. Hmm. The previous episode directed by Rene Abergenois was Hippocratic Oath. And like that show, this one had many problems. At one stage, the set was destroyed by rain which pushed shooting back by three days as the sets were rebuilt. Hmm. Additionally, there were 70 extras on set. 
Abergenois never shot on location before, and he had never used a crane before. Mm. However, while he hated the pressure of directing Hippocratic Oath, he reacted differently this time, saying, quote, You'd think that's where I'd fall apart, but this was, for me, my breakthrough as a director. It's the first time I really had a handle on it. Um, Abergenois saw this show as having strong religious overtones. Mm. In particular, he felt that Acoria was a Virgin Mary figure, and he tried to place her in the frame in such a manner as to recall Renaissance holy pictures. I can see that. You know, she's giving birth to Jesus. I guess. Like, you know, the new, new the, hope. Yeah, the new hope. Um, so the shot of her standing in front of a rounded arch window was designed to make the arch look like a halo. Mm. According to Abergenois, quote, we tried to get some sort of Vermeer look to it. Mm. I don't know what that is. I can see that. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense also, like, yeah, again, like, you don't never see um, see the father, mm-hmm. you know? The father's God. That's true. Yeah. Well, he's dead. Yeah, he died, but, you know, but you don't see him on the screen, so it's like, you know, mm. you know, immaculate conception, almost, yeah. in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like it. I like it. I get it. I get I get. I see where you're coming from, Renee. I see I, it. I say why not. I say yeah. why not. So, most of the later stage disfiguring caused by the... Teplin Blight was done in post-production by multi-layer compost, uh, sorry, multi-layer compositing under the supervision of Gary Hutzel. This meant that on set, rather than elaborate makeup, actors had dots attached to their faces, which allowed their motion to be recorded precisely and which could then be replicated exactly in a computer. This was an early form of the type of sophisticated motion capture software and motion capture suits that are regularly used today in films like Avatar 2, mm-hmm. The Way of Water. Go watch it now, you dumb fuck. You motherfucker. You son of a bitch. Watch that movie if you haven't. If you haven't watched that movie, either put a fucking gun in your mouth or put a tick in your hand right now, you goddamn mm-hmm. son of a bitch. Yeah. You're losing <laughs> daylight hours not seeing it. Yeah. And I was, just, I was thinking the other day how much I like Avatar is like it, it pos- it's a very positive version of the future, or at least not for us, but for another <laughs> species. But like, you know, just like just the same way in Star- same vein as Star Trek, because like, you know, I do feel like we're we are like a lot of like, well, wait, what do you mean? Not for us. Humans have crab robots. <laughs> humans have crab robots. We don't have crab robots of, right uh, now. Of course, it's of course it's uh, aspirational for That's us. That's a utopia for yeah. us. That's like, <laughs> like we live in a dystopia here, right? Yeah. And we don't have crab robots, which tells me one thing. Yeah. Crab robots are what's going to make the difference. Yep. Yeah. But yep. I was just thinking about how much I like that because like, you see in other like versions of sci-fi, it's all very, very morose, cynical, mm-hmm. grim. No crab robots. No crab robots. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, just like. But the Navi, Star Trek, you know, they're happy. They're happy. Got crab robots. They got crab robots. I'd be you happy know? too if I had a crab robot. You know, we need more crab robots in Star Trek, and then yeah. that would ter- definitely be a utopia. You know, that's what that's what Sanders needs to come back with. Instead of fucking what, healthcare or whatever you're talking about. Yeah. Crab robots. Everyone gets a crab mech. <laughs> <laughs> Legalized crab mechs. Crab mech care for all. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I did that one. All right. Um, next, we got uh, the picture of Quark on Worf's mug is a promotional shot of Armin Shimmerman taken during the production of Emissary, hmm. the first episode of Deep Space Nine. 
At that time, Shimmerman was still wearing the nose made for Rom, played by Max Gronchik. He did have a really bad nose. He did, uh, <laughs> which is why the picture looks slightly different from Quark's actual appearance. I actually love using the picture of Quark with Rom's nose mm-hmm. uh, for, like, things. I think I actually do have a Quark with Rom's nose on the uh, fucking uh, Born to Profit shirt. Mm. Uh, because... First, it's like one of the best isolated pictures of Quark's face where he's like yeah. looking straight forward. And also it bothers like just a few people who know what it is. <laughs> and, and they're like, that's Rom's nose. And I'm like, <laughs> it pisses him off. It's so funny. Uh, if if you heard that, I didn't say, I didn't just say that. <laughs> didn't just say that. No. That's a secret between me. <laughs> and, um, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. Uh, so next we got uh, Randy Mc. McGolvin designed the sets for this episode because Herman Zimmerman was working on Star Trek First Contact. Uh, John Eves designed the Telpin City. I imagine this mm. is why the thing like destructed in the rain. Yeah. <laughs> because Herman Zimmerman is a fucking boss and everything he makes is awesome. <laughs> um, so Doug Drexler and Michael Okuda collaborated on designing the Teplin mural using CGI and Photoshop while additional cracks and aging effects were added by hand by Donnie Puga. The final product measured 15 feet wide. Hmm. It's kind of interesting. Uh, all of the outdoor scenes were shot at the Santa Susana Field Laboratory in Ventura County, Southern California, where Rocketdyne had performed shuttle testings that resulted in the earth being burned and scorched by the heat and flames of the rocket engines. Mm. That's kind of interesting. That's I really like that fact. That's cool. Uh, that's cool. Cool location scouting. Um, the casting of Michael Sarazin as a practitioner of euthanasia is possibly motivated by the fact that he is best known for playing in the 1969 film, They, Short, uh, they Shoot Horses, Don't They? which culminates with his character helping the other lead played by Jane Fonda to her death. Hmm. Oh yeah. I've never seen that. I've Me always neither. heard uh, good stuff about that movie. I don't really watch most films before like the 1980s, unless they're like supposed to be amazing or mm-hmm. classic because like seventies and before pacing and films fucking sucks, man. It's so mm-hmm. boring and slow. Yeah. Like I have ADHD. I can't, <laughs> I, I can't watch a guy have a conversation with another guy for five minutes and still be interested. <laughs> What what is this? A fucking interview show? Come on, get out of here. Get out of here. All right. uh, Final production note here. Cyric Lofton, who plays Jake Sisko, Mm -hmm. is not on this episode at all. No. Can't imagine what he would do in this episode. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I was in like, yeah, basically all of the other main cast members are only at the very beginning scene or then they're like Sisko at the very end of this. Yeah, yeah. You don't see Sisko until the very end. Which is interesting. Yeah. All right. Uh, next, we have just a couple continuity things here. Uh, Quark had previously inquired about promoting merchandise on Deep Space Nine's monitors, which Cisco denied in the DS9 episode at Jim Hadar, mm-hmm. which is cool. Yeah. Uh, Koval, the chairman of the Tal Shiar, would ask Bashir about the events of this episode in the seventh season episode, Inter Arma Enim Silent Lagos, which I didn't realize. That's mm-hmm. interesting, though. Yeah. I love when they make a callback to something that happened before. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, 
Next, we have the reception, which is usually my favorite part of the memory alpha. So, <laughs> first and foremost. Oh, yeah. How did people respond to this? Uh, well, I can tell you one person who loved it. Hmm. Alexander Sadiq. Hells yeah. He commented, uh, quote, this story was a lesson in abject arrogance and how blinding it can be. Prior mm-hmm. to this episode, Bashir had only succeeded. He always won. He always got his man. Mm-hmm. So it was very interesting for him not to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, Iris Stephen Bear agrees with Siddig's appraisal saying, quote, it was a horror story. Basically it's about this genetically engineered plague and the hubris of a doctor who thought that he could just come in and be a hero. Yeah. I also found this episode. Oh, Ira is also fond of this episode commenting quote, a lot of things really came together in the quickening. I mean, the sets were unbelievable. The production values did not let us down. So much of it worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the special features hidden file zero one of the Star Trek DS nine season four DVD. Uh, Alexander Sadig elaborates on why he loves this episode much so much saying quote, I loved that show. I mean, I love doing it and Renee directed it. He was great at directing that show. I really enjoyed the fact that there's this doctor who turns up on this planet and he is so arrogant and full of himself that he thinks he can cure the planet of all their diseases and probably get whatever the equivalent of the Nobel prizes. <laughs> and he fails. He kills a bunch of people whole bunch of people die because he screwed up. That doesn't happen on TV. The good guys don't screw up. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that it all went horribly wrong and he had to, you know, go back to the drawing board and figure out where he went wrong. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's because I was terribly arrogant. Maybe it's because I put my own interests above those of my patients. That's a great lesson for any doctor. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a really great, yeah. You don't see him fail and like, and how things can go horribly wrong, which in, in reality that does happen. Oh Um, yeah. All the time. Yeah. All the time. Fuck up. Yeah. Doctors fuck up. And that's, that's one reason why the show ER, I think was pretty good. It's cause mm. like the doctors did fuck up. They done fucked up. Mm-hmm. And yeah. You know, and, and you, you do know, yeah, Bashir, and I do like how that, you know, Bashir was like thinking about, you know, Nobel priest prize. Cause you know, you, you know, he was thinking about writing about his success and right. then, and then getting, and then getting like getting a, his a, dick sucked and, and a standing ovation for, for, yeah. for, uh, him like just, doing this. Yeah. Just going back to the gamma quadrant, like once every quarter or something for some <laughs> sex tourism on that planet. Like, <laughs> yeah. All the women are like, please fuck our non-diseased pussies, Dr. Bashir. <laughs> it's all because of you, Bashir. It's all because of you. <laughs> all right. So, um, when asked, uh, which, oh, sorry, Terry Farrell, also thought this episode was exceptional, commenting that it was, quote, a good one to work on because I was thinking about the AIDS metaphor while we were shooting it. I felt like we had a touch of reality in that episode. Sid was so good. Bashir's ego was really driven to cure that disease. I thought it was interesting that Dax was a step back and more realistic than Bashir. She thought you should do Mm -hmm. everything you can, but at the day's end, felt you had to let it go a little bit so you can... So you had the strength to come back the next day and be fresh enough to try again. It was a great show. Probably one of our best. Yeah. Um, when asked which DS9 episode he contributed uh, to was his favorite, Rene Eshevara named The Quickening as a close second behind The Visitor. Oh, he, he directed The Visitor? No, he wrote The Visitor. Oh, wrote The Visitor. So he, he only did a rewrite on the script. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Uh, he commented, uh, Alexander Sadig was wonderful in that show and Ellen Wheeler, the pregnant woman was terrific and having Michael Sarzen was terrific. He came in and audition and just blew the room away. There was no question of auditioning anyone else. Women love this man and still swoon over him down on the set. <laughs> what? <laughs> All right. 
Um, and then finally, to close this out and to close out subspace transmissions, a BBC reviewer wrote, quote, The Quickening, an episode dealing with the catastrophic effects of a plague the Jem'Hadar have unleashed on a planet that resisted Dominion rule is arguably one of the best examples of how Deep Space Nine's departure from the typical Trek pattern can produce great TV. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very brutal. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the cast loved this one. I didn't like it nearly as much as the cast did. Yeah, I liked it. It was all right. It was good. It was a good Bashir episode, but like ultimately could have used, um, a little less padding, a B plot really more than it mm-hmm. could have used a B plot really. Yeah. Like, I think they probably, I think like uh, the, 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 uh, quark advertising was as close as they were going to get to a B plot into this. Yeah. Which is uh, before, uh, shit oh. started to go down before like, yeah, everyone started dying and, mm. The misery kicked in. Like, I, I would have liked to have almost seen, like, because, like, I don't know, maybe, like, Dax and Kira, like, Bashir's the only one that goes down, and Dax and Kira are off doing a thing or something. Mm. I don't know. That could have been fun. Who knows? Just licking each other's snizzes. That's not what I, that, that is what I was thinking. Not what I, <laughs> that's not what I said, Pat. Stop reading my mind. Stop reading my mind. Um, so, yeah. Uh, that is subspace transmissions. And with that, yeah. we are close to the end of the show. But before yeah. we leave you. Stop edging me. Before we leave <laughs> <so> you. Close. <laughs> let's say goodbye to someone who gave the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah. It's a red shirt obituary. Do it up. Will the awaitings pinch and somebody had to die? So thanks a lot. Time to beam up to the big red shirt in the sky. Hey, it's the red shirt obituary. Today we remember Crewman Sandoval, uh, who was a crewman serving aboard the USS Enterprise D under Captain Jean-Luc Picard until 2366. And I like to imagine a descendant of Pete Sandoval, mm. the drummer for, was it Slayer? Mm. No, that's Dave Lombardo. Who does Pete Sandoval play for? I don't even remember. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? Uh, it was a crewman, some metal drummer, uh, a crewman serving aboard the USS Enterprise D under Captain Jean-Luc Picard until 2366. Crewman Sandoval succumbed to injuries involving a disruptor blast. Although she, she survived the initial attack, she died a week later from complications involving internal injuries from the blast. Sandoval was yet another person who Commander Riker used in a, as an example of somebody who didn't unalive themselves in the face of pain and disability when mm. Worf wanted to unwarf himself <laughs> after the blue barrel injury. I think we've officially eulogized everybody on Riker's list. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Oh, and Pete Sandoval was the drummer for Terrorizer and Morbid Angel. Morbid Angel, that's the one. Yes. Thank you. God. You're welcome. I, I, I've got all this <laughs> stupid fucking knowledge in my... I don't even listen to Morbid Angel. Mm-hmm. I, I bought one of their albums when I was like 19 or something. But, but Pete Sandoval's name just etched itself into your brain. There you it was just like, it just, just like... Yeah. I mean, and then the, their guitarist is Trey Azersoss. He's pretty cool. He's he's actually really cool. I like him a lot. He's like this big anime nerd. He's oh, that's cool. He's like just happens to be in like an iconic death metal band. <laughs> um. So, um, rest in peace among the stars. Yeah, Crewman Sandoval, and thanks for your contribution 
to Riker's example list and the greater good, I guess. Yeah. R.I.P. Bozo. Hoopty dingy dong. Dingly ding dong. Bing bang boom. Hey, Pat, this is the end of our show, our Soy yeah. Trek show. Yeah. Where can we find you on the inter internet if we would like to talk to you and say hello and be social on our social medias? Oh, uh, I am on Instagram and Twitter at Atomic Bomb. Super duper. Yeah. Guess where you can find me? Where? At Soy Trek. Pretty much anywhere. Well. And you know what? Just uh, hit me up on any social media. Ask me for whatever you want. You know, the worst I can say is no. And most likely case scenario is I'm a big enough to freak to say fucking yes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, take your chances. Yeah, roll the dice, if yeah. you say, as they say. Fucking roll the dice, because it always lands on 20. <laughs> it always lands on brown eyes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're those sex dice that you roll, yeah. and it's like... You know, all all of them, all of them say like eat or touch or like Mm. fondle. And then the other dice is like butthole, mouth, penis, clitoris (laughs) or something. Yeah. Mine are loaded and they, both of them always just land on butthole, butthole. I'm like, well, sorry. Looks like I got a butthole that butthole. (laughs) Butt to butt. (laughs) Back and forth forever and ever and ever. Horrifying. Well. Thanks for checking with us, soy boys, girls, and other worldly beans. Yeah, I didn't oh. even say my line, buddy. I forgot. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah did you? Yeah. Did you? I, I got I got confused with the butthole talk. <laughs> <laughs> and by confused, you mean immensely horny. Yes. Captain's log, supplemental, and not the kind of supplements that uh, Pat here took before the show that he got at the gas station that... Something's leaking out of the shorts right now. <laughs> they damn it, they told me that would stop happening. <laughs> they told me it will stop. God damn you, side effects! <laughs> um, so, uh, Captain's Log Supplemental. Well, that's all, folks. Looks like it's time for us to warp away. Be well, soldiers. Travel safe. And as Ferengi rule of acquisition number nine says, opportunity plus instinct equals profits. Oh, damn. Well, thanks for trekking with the soy boys, girls, and other worldly beans. Hang dong and, and shocker. Soy, 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 Did it. We done done all the episode for the week. I wonder if my fucking sweatpants finally got here. I want my crab mech. You just been making memes this entire episode, yes. Pat. God damn it. Do that on your own time. <laughs>